Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Back to the Blockbuster. My name is Gaius Bowling, and as always, join with my buddy. Let's go, guys. Let's go, Gaius. Let's get into it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting week because uh, we it's uh, the episode right before the Academy Awards. So the Academy Awards are on Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, we, and we can finally stop talking about uh, those same movies that those same movies who we. <laughs> Like some of them, but a lot of them we are a little controversial over. So, exactly. Um, so we're gonna talk about a little news at the top, mostly about that, and then um, this is this episode is the rescheduled uh, deep dive for Owen for No Country for Old Men. So that'll be fun to get into. Actually, honestly, it. I I I can't I can't wait. Yeah, I watched it on um, Sunday night or Sunday. So. I um, got to uh, <clears throat> really kind of pay attention again. I, I'd probably seen it a couple times in the last year, um, even just this year. So this is the second time I've watched it this year, and it's just seen it again. It's um, it never really loses its thrill. So I, I can't wait to um, kind of talk about it more and see what you have to think about it because I think we've talked about it a little bit before. But now that you've just watched it, it's fresh in your mind, and we can kind of get into it a little bit more. Yeah, it was, and it's also one of the first uh, like mini like movie reviews that Owen sent me from his like iPhone notes. Yeah, after he had watched it. So, and that was like I think how long ago was that? Like, Gosh, that ago? was over a year ago. Over a year ago, yeah. So now we're here and we get to talk about it. And um, mm-hmm. at the end of the episode, I will I will have decided between two movies I'm going through in my head for my deep dive for yours. Okay, yeah. perfect. Uh, they're currently bouncing around. I'm just gonna like let uh, the moment uh, decide. decide. Which <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, when the coin toss when it happens. You know which one you want once it's in the air, and then uh, I guess we'll kind of figure it out once uh, once you're there. Yeah, and they both will be good. Like I probably will eventually get to this the other one, whichever one it is, uh, at a later time. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do that, um, I guess the big news is um, last weekend was the last bit of uh, awards. Um, that they were giving out before the Oscars. And yeah. last week I said, because the power of the dog won the DGA, which is like the directing award for Jane Campion. And it won the BAFTA for best picture and the critics choice award for best picture that it was likely the, like the favorite to win best picture at the Oscars. Yeah. It's like it won all those. Awards. <clears throat> now I think the, I last also... one was the producer or the writers, yeah. which one's the last one. So they were both over the weekend, the PGAs and the uh, the WGAs. And I think I mentioned last week that the PGA is also a good indicator. And I thought the power of the dog was going to win that. But then a little movie called Coda was like, hold my beer. Uh, no. <laughs> and it won the PGA award. Nice. And, uh, Coda and came now, through. Yeah. Now it's like a major like outlier for like best picture. Maybe even more than that. Now it kind of made like, like the producing award, some of those people in that guild are also part of the Academy and they vote on best picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so it winning that award is very like uh, critical. It could easily take it from the power of the dog, which was like a favorite up until then. Um, it also won at the WGA. It won for best adapted screenplay, which a lot of people think it's going to win at the Oscars too. Um, mm-hmm. Also, also a Do really interesting that win. since um, Yeah. Oh yeah, I just want to say uh, just another interesting win too. The original screenplay award was everyone's favorite was Licorice Pizza, but somehow Don't Look Up won, and Don't Look Up is really polarizing. Nice, like, hey. <laughs> I'll take a that. lot of people don't like it. Um, 
So that makes that race kind of like interesting too, because it's like everyone's like, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza is going to win. Um, but mm-hmm. then don't look up one, but one for best original screenplay. So now there's a race in that category too. It's I not, think that's you know, a pretty good. I think that's a pretty good win for him because, I mean, <clears throat> if I mean, there's no story really like it before. So having an original story like that and with there, there's a lot of dialogue in it. So I think the fact that that one <clears throat> was that for the producers or the writers. The writers, yeah, it won Best Original Screenplay for the Writers Guild. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah I think that's huge, man, because it, it it definitely deserves its um, its moment. It, it has a lot of really good parts in it. I mean, the acting's incredible, not only from having such a star-studded cast, but I, I think that it, it really just, it deserves to have some recognition. So even if this is the only award that it wins, and it, I mean, it's got nominations for Oscar, but... Nope. Um, now that it actually has won something, I think that that's, I mean, that, that'll sit well in my heart. I really enjoyed the movie and I think it deserves at least something. Yeah. I mean, I think, so when I went on Twitter, so film Twitter was like immediately like uh, liberal trash. I can't believe it won. Cause you know, that's always been the issue oh, with it since it came out. And it yeah. also, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have the best reviews of the bunch on Rotten Tomatoes of all the movies that are nominated for anything. Uh, it's actually rotten, but like, you know, a lot of critics and stuff kind of latched onto it. They liked it. And like a lot of people who watched it enjoyed it too. I mean, I Adam McKay is an interesting writer. I mean, this is a guy that wrote like Big Short, and you know, like his writing is not for everyone. Talladega Nights. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He also made that Oscar masterpiece. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it's not for everyone. But like he he hits a nerve when he when it's something like this. So I think you know on that level, I think it should be appreciated a bit more than it actually is. And I also uh, like how it, this took a different little bit of a spin on his um, other sort of more serious ones, because I recently uh, recently watched Vice um, yeah. about a week and a half ago, uh, and that's also Adam McKay, and that gave me such, like, similarities towards The Big Short that, like, yes, I think The Big Short is one of his best movies. It's still one of my favorites, but, like, Vice was a little bit too similar in the directing style that um, having, like, Don't Look Up is, I think, a a great sort of transition for him to make similar pieces like it, but still kind of have that his old style of there are some funny bits and he does have um, good interaction with the characters and they do seem realistic. Um, But they're also, they're also real people and like they do funny things and not everything is supposed to be 100% serious. Yeah, I agree. And uh, you know, like the kind of satirical approach that he has to a lot of his stuff, you know, it also isn't going to be for everyone, um, but I really love the curveball of it winning. I mean, I I I saw Licorice Pizza yeah. finally. It is a good coming of age story. It's solid, but you know, I I also don't necessarily love when like there's a favorite to win. I like when there's more of like a race, or if there's more of like oh, like if there could be an upset. And honestly, like those two wins, like the WGA win for Don't Look Up, and then the PGA win for Coda, kind of makes the best picture race more interesting and then like the mm-hmm. writing race more interesting too. Um, I feel sorry for everyone else in the best picture race. Cause I don't think it's any of them have a shot. There's um, no chance, man. But um, I do uh, before we get to I have the list of nominees. I know we haven't seen everything, but just based on like what you're feeling, it's just going to do the major ones and kind of get like what yeah. you predict for the winner. Um, but I do want to so mention can I do what I'm predicting, but also what yeah. I want. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. I actually want to do that too, because I feel that, a certain way in certain categories. Um, mm-hmm. I'll start with best picture. And I would say <laughs> what I would want, 
out of these. I really lo- I love Nightmare Alley, but Nightmare Alley doesn't have a shot. I would love to see that win. Guillermo del Toro is mm-hmm. a great filmmaker. Um, yeah. Also with Dune, that's just because it would be great to see a sci-fi f- film win Best Picture. Yeah. But they're not going to win. Um, mm-hmm. After the PGA win, I'm going with Coda, but I don't want to fuck up anyone's like Oscar like ballot if they're doing because uh, Power, like, Dog still, Power of the Dog still has a chance to win. Like it's it, it will be close, but Coda is really proving itself to be like the little engine that could because it was such a small movie and then it got mm-hmm. kind of forgot about for a second. And then once the like award season really kicked in, it just kind of like started bulldozing through um, some of these major awards. So. Yeah. I'm going Coda. I think that um, I think Coda. That's going to be my pick too. After this um, uh, Guild win, um, that's that's definitely going to be like my sleeper uh, for the this Oscar pick. But I mean, I'm probably between Coda and Dune. Or sorry, um, don't look up and Dune for the ones that I want to see win. I, uh, I think just having one that anytime there's a controversy over the Oscars, it just makes me laugh because. Everyone shits on the Oscars for months and months and months and months. And then regardless of what wins, everyone's pissed. And yeah. so, and so when it, like, having something win like Don't Look Up would be great because it would just kind of prove that all these people, regardless of um, how they think about the movie. I, I mean, I was going to say this a little bit earlier, but I think people are actually scared of what the movie is about. And like they just don't want to. I mean, it's literally about people not looking up because they don't believe it. And then you have people who see the movie and they're like, oh, these liberal snowflakes are trying to talk about global warming. It's exactly. literally exactly what the movie is talking about. So like, I, I think that that's, that would be such a cool win to have where just kind of proving everyone wrong, like maybe we should focus on this. But regardless of that, I don't think anyone's actually going to start paying more attention. But that would be a good win for me. <laughs> Yeah, I and then would, I kind of going be, into the uh, actor in a leading role. I think that um, right now we have Benedict Cumberbatch for Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield for Tick Tick Boom, Will Smith for King Richard, and Denzel for Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, my vote definitely, and and who I think is going to win is going to be Andrew Garfield. Um, that's, I mean, I, I really hope that he does win. He poured his heart and soul into that movie, like we've talked about multiple times on this podcast, and like. I, I really think he deserves it, and, and that's such a cool story about film and theater that um, he deserves it, um, especially for uh, the story and, and the um, person that he's portraying. Yeah, I agree, too. Um, I, I agree with wanting him to win. Um, Javier Bardem's also up for being, uh, being the Ricardos, but he's not going to win either. Um, I would love for Andrew Garfield to win. Uh, that was my favorite performance last year. But I have a feeling it's going to be Will Smith. And I think it's not that Will Smith's bad in this movie because he's really good in it. I feel like it's more of a career award now for him at this point. Like he yeah. has, you know, he's been nominated twice. Um, he, you know, proved to be like a huge movie star. And he kind of is giving that, uh, he gave that up a little bit recently to kind of focus on like more like character driven projects like this. Um, mm-hmm. He won the SAG award. He won the BAFTA. He won the Critics' Choice Award. That's not always an indication that they will win. Like sometimes there is like there might be one Academy voter that's like no, <laughs> and like yeah. and it goes it goes sideways. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing him win because it's Will Smith, and I don't really have anything against him. But I would love Ed, for Andrew Garfield to take it. Um, yeah, but I have a feeling it's going to be Will Smith. Well, do you think that him be uh, Andrew Garfield being in Spider Man No Way Home has a chance of hurting his performance in Tick Tick Boom? 
no, I think like I think with him, he just had a really good year, and then he was also in the uh, the eyes of Tammy Faye with Jessica Chastain. She's nominated two for Best Actress. Um, yeah, you know, he, he, it could have been a split the vote situation with him, uh, and they ended up. And I, I'm I'm not even sure if he even submitted himself for a supporting actor for the eyes of Tammy Faye because he could have, but there would have been like there would have been this like distinction or like okay is he a supporting actor even though he's the male lead that's always been like a big discrepancy with supporting and leading actor so he may have mm-hmm. like kind of checked himself out and just focused on tick tick boom um Maybe. but having like but having like a movie like spider-man like a popular movie on top of being in a critically acclaimed one uh it's a good look um i i i they're different performances but i just feel like andrew garfield like put his heart and soul into it like mm-hmm. everything he had into it. And I'm not saying Will Smith didn't. I mean, like they're both really committed performances. I just, I just give the slight edge to Andrew, but I, I don't think it's well, going to happen. What you're saying about well, what you're saying about Will Smith too. It's like, if um, <clears throat> that has Jessica Chastain and in actress in a leading role, um, would this kind of like, would we see two people getting basically career Oscars rather than singular performances? Oh, that's funny because like with best actress, that that category has been like all over the place at all these different awards leading up to this. Uh because who's up is Jessica Chastain for the eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for the Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman for being the Ricardos, and Kristen Stewart for Spencer. So Jessica Chastain won a big award. She won the SAG Award, which is voted on by all the actors. And of course, like some of those actors are a part of the Academy, so they will be voting too. Um and then she won the Critics' Choice Award for Best Actress. Um, a lot of people were upset about that because the critics all award season were praising Kristen Stewart for Spencer. That was like their choice. Like in their all their reviews and all the stuff that they were like kind of putting on their sites, like they were all about Kristen Stewart. And then at the mm-hmm. last second, they went with Jessica Chastain. Um, I, she's good in it. I don't think she's the best on this list. Uh, but she's yeah. good. But I also think it could be a career thing too, because she's been nominated a few times, and she has had like a very good career. And yeah, you know, she's given some great performances. Um, I, I kind of think if she does win, like this will be like a controversial, like down the line, they'll be like, "Oh, did she really deserve it for that?" For that performance, well, it's like Leo, where it's like when he won for The Revenant, it's like was that really the performance that he should have won for? Um, Everyone was happy that he finally won one, but yeah. is that the one that got him just because he put himself in these ridiculous situations? Yeah, um, I, under- I understand. Like when you're um, doing like uh, shooting in different countries and different um, location shooting and stuff, like that can be difficult. But yeah. I thought his performance in like Wolf of Wall Street was probably better just because of the amount of dialogue and the um the way he carried the movie yeah um now best director you have kenneth Branagh for belfast oh god people forgive me in advance for mispronouncing the same it's ryusuke hamaguchi i think for drive my car <laughs> i think i was close mm-hmm. uh paul thomas anderson for licorice pizza jane campion for the power of the dog and steven spielberg for west side story I think based on the DGA win that it's going to be Jane Campion. And you know what? For who should win? I really liked Belfast. Um, and like more, the more I learned about it, just because it's Kenneth Branagh, this is his story, like his childhood mm-hmm. story. 
and it, it's coming from a real like personal place and like i could feel that throughout the entire thing um out of this group since i can't have the director from dune since they left him out um oh really <laughs> i would i would love for kenneth Branagh to take it but i think it is going to be jane campion and it's interesting because jane campion and steven spielberg were up against each other a long time ago uh she was nominated for the piano the same year that he was nominated for schindler's list and he won he beat her yeah so this will be an interesting thing if she does a, a little uh revenge yeah and she will be um the if she wins she'll be the third female to win best director after Catherine bigelow and then chloe zhao from last year for uh nice. Atlanta. but i think she is yeah. gonna get it yeah, I mean, from what everything's been said about it, it's, it sounds like she might get it. But I, I also would like to see Paul Thomas Anderson win it. I think he's an incredible filmmaker. Um, he continues to tell stories that everyone likes and wants to see. And um, everyone, every actor continues to speak the world of him and how he is like... I mean, I, th- I think there was something that um, I heard about when he was directing There Will Be Blood. Um, like he gave, he like basically gave notes and told Daniel Day Lewis that he was doing his character wrong based on what he thought the performance should be, and like right. telling Daniel Day Lewis what he's doing wrong that <laughs> he's doing something wrong just sounds just so crazy to me. But like the fact that he has this status. Um, and it's, it seems like he's obviously very well respected. And then, I mean, that movie was incredibly critically acclaimed. So I think that, right. I think he, he definitely deserves another one, I guess he's, cause he's already very, very well, um, accommodated, but yeah. I, I would like to see him win that. So, you know, the train of thought was originally since he's not going to win best picture for licorice pizza and director is kind of more up in the air. The one that seemed like a given was original screenplay. But now they don't but, look up on that WGA award. Now it's like, oh, does that have more of a shot now? I think it is between Don't Look Up and Licorice Pizza for uh, the original screenplay category. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have just given that to Don't Look Up. They're like, hey, here's an award, and now go away. Now go away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of – that could very well be the case. Because, like, in the original screenplay, there's also Belfast, Don't Look Up, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, and The Worst Person in the World, which I am, I have not seen – um, but I've heard good things. Um, but yeah, I thought the original screenplay would be Licorice Pizza, but you know, there's there's an outside shot for Don't Look Up and also an outside shot for Belfast, an original screenplay, I think. And then with adapted screenplay, it seems like Coda has been like winning, and it's gonna it, honestly it's gonna come down to Coda and Power of the Dog in that an adapted screenplay. Yeah. Um, so Dune's gonna miss out, and so is Lost Carter <laughs> and Drive My Car. The thing about Dune, Dune's going to win a lot of awards that night, but they're all going to be technical. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be cinematography. It's going to be visual effects. Um, visual effects. It's going to be yeah, score, maybe. The thing that sometimes frustrates me about the Oscars is that, I mean, I can't even count how many movies come out each year, but yeah. four or five movies get nominated for everything. And like I understand that they are specific movies that have everything that's good about them. That's why they're nominated for Best Picture, so it's not just best picture because it's best picture it has all these contributing factors and parts right but seeing on the ballot and see, like when you're actually was- watching the oscars and like you basically see like a little mini clip of it every single time they mention it seeing yeah. the same one over and over and over again starts to get tedious yeah it does 
And, you know, coming into the night, Power of the Dog has the most nominations. That's 12. And I, it's, I'm just wondering, like, which one of those can it, like, director for sure, I think it has. Um, you know, it'd be interesting if it came in with 12 and just ends up winning, like, one. Uh, you know, that, you know, that can't happen. Uh, it's possible. But, like, uh, I don't know. I, I kind of, like, I, I do enjoy that it doesn't have, like, I enjoy that it's not just going to be like a sweep from that movie now. Like it yeah, seems like so. yeah, it seems like there's going to be a bit of a like a mix of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as the supporting categories, um, I should read their names. But uh, supporting actress is Jesse Buckley, The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Judy Dench for Belfast, Kristen Dunst for The Power of the Dog. Ariana DeBose has won everything in this category leading up to the Oscars. If she does yeah. not win, someone doesn't it's like gonna her. It's going to be yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, so she seems like, like a chew in. Um, it will be a really uh, cool historic win because she's playing the character of Anita in this version of West Side Story. Rita Moreno played her you know, for 60 years ago in the original and won the Oscar for playing that role then. Um, so that'll be cool to see her win if she does. I, I actually liked her in it. West Side Story has like, I don't say issues. It's just like, you know, it's a typical like Hollywood musical, but she's yeah. still, she steals all of her scenes though. She's very good. And as far as supporting actor, um, yeah, Jesse Plemons, Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons being the Ricardos, Cody Smith McPhee for the Power of the Dog, uh, Siren Hines for Belfast, and Troy Kotzer for Coda. My boy Troy has won also mostly everything leading up to this uh, for Coda, and I think he's going to win the Oscar for that too. I do just love Jesse Plemons. So I, know, I think everybody does. He kind of had my vote for that. I just think he's so good at everything. Like, did you ever see him in Game Night? Oh yeah, he's like the weird like neighbor. He was the weird neighbor. That, like, oh god! <laughs> like he played that character so well, and it just like everything he does makes me laugh. I actually am. I'm just about to watch. Um, um, what's the new one with Jason Segel and oh, him? With Lily Collins. Yeah. I'm excited to see that because it's also um, Jason Siegel and Lily Collins are um, married. So I'm interested to see how they act against uh, act together. And Jason Siegel's always been one of my favorites. Yeah. So, and it's also like kind of a thriller, but is it horror? I don't know. The, I think, the, it, I think uh, like the way it was described to me is that there it's a thriller, but there's also like a little bit of light, like dark comedy to it okay. a little bit. Um, yeah, it looks good. I mean, like sometimes Netflix originals aren't that good, and this one looks pretty decent. It looks like one that I would um, just have no hesitation saying, "Yeah, I'm in to watch that." Yeah, um, uh, we I did not send you this note before we started. I just wanted to bring this up because I thought it was a really boss move by this girl for doing this. So Rachel Zegler is a star of West Side Story. She is not nominated at all, um, but she is the star of the movie. It's nominated for Best Picture. Her co-star is nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And earlier this week on Monday, I woke up and she said that the Academy did not invite her to the Oscars, right? She went on Instagram and said that she will be wow. watching watching from her couch and supporting her like co-stars for something they worked tirelessly on for three years. Wow. So my first thought was like, yo, someone's going to see that and make it right. Because they don't, I mean, there's a, I think there's a reason she put it on her Instagram. Because she knew that it would get picked up. And everyone oh, yeah. would like, talk about it. So it was a big story that day. Come to find out that, yeah, it's the Academy does have a a play in inviting who comes. But the big people behind the invites are the studio. And that would be Disney in this case because they are behind the movie. Yeah. Uh, and I, but I like maybe like 
an hour or two before we started this, she is now invited to be a presenter. So someone like was like, Oh my gosh, I knew it. (laughs) I knew it. She made a snafu and they're like, okay, yeah, you can come and say something. And now she gets to buy a dress and really nice. Well, good for her though. I mean, she's starring the movie. The movie's nominated for best picture. Like she's nominated for like five different awards. She should be allowed to like, you know, go. (laughs) Yeah, she should. Why shouldn't she not see it? Like, or be there to celebrate it with her friends and exactly. her co-stars and the director. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I mean, I'm sure, like, I wonder if, like, if Steven Spielberg saw her Instagram was like, yo, make this right. She has to come. Like, yeah, you know, this is three years of hard work. And, you know, sometimes when you're young and you realize that you can get traction on social media, you can use it to your advantage. Hey, and I it works it sometimes. It works sometimes. <laughs> like, she really, really did. And uh, kudos to her because I don't, I don't even see how, like, Disney, uh, would even like slide her like that by not even throwing in the invite yeah they did her dirty so it's ridiculous um so moving on from the oscars um we have some release date news finally um so you know there's gonna be a scream six but i don't know if we should call it like scream six because Mm -hmm. it's uh it was called scream even though we all knew it was Scream, Scream. 5. <laughs> um, Scream again. Um, but um, we're getting uh, the next Scream pretty much a little little after a year after this one came out this year. It's coming out on March 31st, 2023, and they're shooting this summer, which is uh, a pretty quick turnaround, I would say. Um, I was kind of surprised that I'm not surprised that they greenlit Scream because we've already talked about how it was successful mm-hmm. and that uh, it made money. I think right now um, the worldwide total for the latest Scream is $140 million worldwide. So it's not a surprise that they're making another one. I'm just surprised that it's coming so fast. But I think they're doing the whole striking while the iron Match is hot. Yeah, and like they are expected to film this summer, and then it's coming out in March 31st, 2023. Uh, Courtney Cox, during a podcast with Variety, said that she has a copy of the script, which kind of like drops the fact that she is a part of it, even though they haven't officially announced her as a part of it. But, yeah. she, said, but she said that she has, she has a script, and they start shooting in June in Canada. Um, so that's like... That should be an announcement that she's in it, but like they haven't really. Yeah, that seems pretty. That seems pretty official to me. Um, we're still waiting on Nev Campbell. She, uh, I don't know if she's seen the script yet. The last they talked to her, she said she'd be open to doing it, but she needs to read the script first. That's what she said when the Scream Five came about. Um, I'm at this point though. I think she trusts these new guys on this new one. Mm-hmm. I think um, so. So it might be like a little easier for her to say yes. And, you know, I think she has some stipulations. I don't think she, I, she said in the interview that she doesn't want to see Sydney die. And that's always been like a big thing. And like, oh, how can she survive so many of these? And it would be a really shocking thing to the audience. Be like, oh, they, they killed her. But that's not yeah. something that Nev Campbell wants. So um, I don't think that's something we'll ever likely see. But yeah, she- I mean, eventually, I think we talked, we talked about it on the screen episode, like, I feel like she's got to die eventually. Like maybe they'll just wait 30 more years until she's an actual old woman. And then, <laughs> then they'll just have her like. She'll just die like, of natural causes. Die of natural causes. <laughs> On screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 
I think it's interesting that it's cool. It's it's cool that it's coming around so fast. Because I think if you wait on something like this too, uh, it can lose some of its appeal. Um, because even this one, this last one, even though a lot of people liked it, I think the whole meta horror thing it has like a time and place. And um, the fact that they were able to bring it back now and make it work is a testament to them. But sometimes that type of humor doesn't land with everyone. Um, so now that it's relevant and sort of in the times, it, it might continue to be popular and they're just going to grab, I mean, it made a lot of money. So people are, it's, it's at the top, at the forefront of people's minds right now. So maybe this is the perfect time for it. Yep. And you know, March 31st seems like a weird time to release a horror film, but I, th- but so was January of this year too. So I guess it's, you know, whatever works. If they think they can make some money, that the only, the only good time I can think of is October or November or like or yeah. September. So it's like only those three months like come to mind, oh, but you can't yeah. release every single one of them then. Well, you know, I guess like the franchise has always been one to buck those trends because like the first two came out in December, like right before Christmas, and they made a lot of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it'll be um, cool to see all the people come back. Um, they haven't said that the people that have survived are officially coming back, but I think that the people that survived Scream Five. We'll be back, and we should probably hear some casting additions on that soon. Um, so I'm cool, sure there will cool. be a bunch of young talent that wants to be a part of that oh, franchise. I, yeah, no question. Yeah. And of course, spoiler alert, the only one not returning that's a legacy character is David Arquette because he did not survive. He did. <laughs> he did. He did. But to anyone that wants to watch Scream now, it is now on Paramount+. Plus, So um, it's there for um, all you guys to enjoy. So get Paramount+, Plus or use your friend's passwords, whatever works for you. Yeah, um, maybe we'll post yours on Instagram, guys. That's no. <laughs> <laughs> <know>, right? <laughs> <just> my password. <laughs> yeah, just your your username and password for Paramount yeah. Plus. Like I cannot watch anything or log in. There's so many people using it. <laughs> yeah. It always um, says too many users. Yeah. So I also want to point out that Moon Knight, uh, it's the next Disney Plus Marvel series, is coming out March 30th, and a lot of critics have been able to watch the first three or four episodes um to give like early reviews and they all love it so far a lot of awesome. them are saying that it's fantastic and it's not it's unlike anything we've seen from the mcu so far they all praise like oscar isaac said that, that one guy said he is the best addition to the mcu since robert downey jr um wow so that's a, so that's a bold statement that's a huge <laughs> statement um, a lot of people like the whole play on like the multiple personalities, and so they think they do that really well. Um, mm-hmm. There is a lot of comedy on the show too, and also they said Ethan Hawke's villain is very, very good as well. Good. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to it because I like I. Um, well, I did like Hawkeye because I'm always like justice for Hawkeye because I just I think he deserves a little bit more credit than he gets. I also like the out. <laughs> yeah, you're shaking your head. <laughs> 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 I also he's like that. Ar- he's an archer, and that's it. That's what makes him cool, though, because he's like a human. He doesn't have powers. Him and Black Widow, they they're bosses, even though they don't have superhuman abilities. It's true. Um, I to a certain extent. Yeah, I know. They probably should have died long ago. The fact that they both didn't die in Avengers, like the New York. Uh, oh, in the first one, New York scene, like in the first one, like. There's no way they would have survived that. But anyways, carry on. <laughs> um, I do like the more out-of-the-box Marvel shows. So like stuff like WandaVision, that actually takes yeah. a bit more chances with the storyline. And it seems like this one is going to do that, too. Uh, I'm really excited for Moon Knight, man. Like, I, I think it's going to be really good. Like, it, 
what I like about it is that it, it seems like it's not going to have a tie into everything. And as much as I do love how Marvel connects everything, this having its own sort of standalone story, I think it's going to make it better. Um, yeah. I, I also love the fact that I, I was reading an article too, that there's going to be, they're not holding back. And yeah. um, like they're not in, in the sense of violence and uh, any, anything of that nature. So I'm really excited to see Oscar Isaac, not only just because I think he's a great actor, but even he had some reservations about joining the MCU. So the fact that he's fully in on it now and he's going to give his best performance, I think. And um, I think Moon Knight's a really cool character that um, I don't know a whole lot about. So excited to see how yeah. they adapt it to the screen and really excited to see like just from the trailers, his transition from sort of his manic um, like uh, attention span to becoming Moon Knight like that already looks really cool. Yeah. So uh, it kind of it kind of it gives me like a little bit of a American Horror Story vibe just from the way that they've shot the trailers. Right. So um, kind of having that dark aura and um, sort of creepiness about it is, is going to be really exciting to see. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I, you know, the character itself just seems like inherently cool. Um, yeah. I, I think I also like the fact that like uh, they're, they, they said from the jump that this is a limited series is not meant to have like multiple seasons. So I think this is to kind of introduce them into the MCU. And, um, and then, you know, the director and writer said that, there are ways to fit him into the greater MCU, but it has to be kind of unique. And if they want to include mm-hmm. him in the movies and all that stuff, um, but at least this is a good start. And um, from what they are saying, and it'll be on Disney plus soon on March 30th. So that's next week. Um, awesome. I can't wait for that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. You know, I think they try to like uh, every time they try to one up, like, Oh, how well these shows going to do. And like, you know, WandaVision did well. And then the Falcon and Winter Soldier did well. And then Loki did really well. And then, you know, like Hawkeye did well enough, but it kind of came down <laughs> a little bit. Like, yeah. Viewers wise. Um, mm-hmm. But they've all been successful in their own right. And they've all, they've all gotten great reviews too. Um, they haven't really uh, steered anyone in the wrong direction. And I also like to say that it's nice to see all of the Marvel shows on Disney plus now. Cause yeah. Daredevil, Daredevil's there. Jessica Jones is there. Luke Cage, Iron Fist and the defenders is there. And uh, even There's Agents so of Shield, many, like, man. They There's finally, so many. Yeah, they finally got the rights to all of those to put them on Disney Plus. Um, you know, the only I guess you have to change some of your uh, parental settings to watch them because they're more violent uh, than yeah. the other the other shows. But it's cool also, to have them on there. I know Jessica Jones is about like her substance abuse and everything too. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a downer. You don't, but it's fun, you don't, but want, your, you don't want your seven year old stumbling upon that necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but it's cool to have them all there because that means that there is potential for all those characters to be used in uh, the actual MCU continuity now. Um, you know, Charlie Cox has already proved that as Daredevil. He appeared in, spoiler alert, I'm sure everyone has seen it by this point, but he was in Spider-Man No Way Home as Matt Murdock, so he is the MCU's Daredevil. Um, Did you see that thing that he said about when he went to go see the movie with his wife and during his cameo, <laughs> the theater no, was just... Silent. No yeah, one he said, said he anything. Got all these videos from like his friends and family when they saw it, and they were like, there were all these cheers. So like, he went to the theater with his You'll wife. It. it was his wife had his wife ready to record and reacting, and like, and nobody said anything. <laughs> and then I was like, well, what weekend did he see it? Because you only get that reaction like 
maybe the first, first like, two. from like dedicated fans. Yeah, yeah, like you get that the first two weekends, maybe. I know when, when I saw, I saw it, it there, was, I, there was definitely a cheer when I saw it. Yeah, like people were going crazy when I saw it. So Charlie Cox, you got to see your movies on opening night and not like yeah, bro. <laughs> Come on, come see it with the masses. <laughs> yeah, right. But that is a fun, I can just imagine him just waiting there, smiling, waiting for that moment, and his wife is just like, no one's saying anything. <laughs> yeah, because he's in it for, what, like 45 seconds, and after yeah, that, yeah. now he's got to sit through a three-hour movie. <laughs> yeah, like, God damn it. Um, but yeah, that is um all the news for today, and now we can finally jump into this deep dive of No Country for Old Men. I will just give like a little plot synopsis and who's in it and who directed it yeah. uh, so that people know uh, what it is in case they've never heard of it. Uh, no Country for Old Men is a 2007 American neo-Western crime thriller written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, based on Carmack McCarthy's 2005 novel of the same name. The film stars Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, and Josh Brolin, and the film is set in the desert landscape of 1980 West Texas. The film revisits the themes of fate, conscience, and circumstance that the Coen brothers had explored in their other films like Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, and Fargo. The film follows three main characters uh, who stumble upon a large sum of money in the desert, and uh, a myster- and then uh, a mysterious hitman who is tasked with recovering the money, and then a local sheriff investigating the crime. And the film also stars Kelly McDonald. Now, as far as how it was received, it was received very well when it came out in 2007. Uh, it premiered at the 2007 Cannes Film Festival on May 19th, and it went on to become a huge commercial success, especially for a neo-Western American crime uh, yeah. drama. It grossed $171 million worldwide against a budget of $25 million. And critics praised the Coen's direction and screenplay, and especially Bardem's performance. And the film won 76 awards from the 109 nominations from the multiple organizations it was it was nominated for. It won four Oscars at the 80th Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, it is a great movie, guys, and um, just one of my favorites. And, and I don't even think I realized this when I first started watching it. But did I don't know if you caught it either, Gaius? But dude, there's no soundtrack. Right. It's all movie. So it, it, legit- <laughs> it legitimately has no soundtrack whatsoever. So you are super in the um the presence of this west texas uh landscape and so you really get to sort of see and feel and hear especially everything that these characters are going through and it just gives uh, an even creepier sense of um javier bardem's character anton chigurh yeah and um just like even the uh, the something as simple as he's um taking his shoes off when he's walking through the hotel to um investigate and so he makes no sound but um this movie just in general one of the reasons that i really like it is because the the power is in the dialogue and um everything about this movie has um basically it's like yes there are some characters that have uh physical power and physical might whether or not it comes from the weapons or from the the history that they have but it also just really comes down to from from what we've seen, um, just who has the control verbally, and I think that that's such a cool way to do a movie, um, because if you even show for a second that, especially to Javier Bardem's character, that you might be scared, then you've lost, or, or right. that you might have a sense of like uncomfortability, 
Um, and I think that that's such a really cool thing that I, I don't really see that often. Like, yes, there are dialogue heavy, uh, driven movies, but not ones without a soundtrack. Um, right. and, and, and being able to kind of see like this one specific moment in time, rather than really trying to do a whole backstory on each of these characters, like you basically get to figure it out for yourself. Like as I was watching it and seeing Josh Brolin's character go through all of these different hoops, I was thinking, I was like, how does this guy have training? Where is he <laughs> from? Like, how does he know how to do all these things? Um, like, obviously he's a tracker. So like when he's even finds the money, he said, yep, I'm going to go and look for shade. If I was the last man standing and I had to go across the desert, I would probably go find some shade. And that's where he ends up finding the money. Um, right. And what I really like about it too, is that that's the same sort of uh, perspective that uh, Tommy Lee Jones character has. So right. it's like they both think that they both kind of think the same way. They've obviously had it. You find out later that um, he was a, a Vietnam War vet. So he did have these obviously some um, boot camp training and then army training. But um, I one of the things that I really wanted to know about, especially since this is such a specific moment in time, is I really want to know what Woody Harrelson's past is with Anton Sugar. Because the yeah. second that, the second that he hears the name, he's like, "Oh, I know exactly who that is." Um, you got to be careful about him. The fact that you've talked to him and you're not dead—that's impressive. So that's I always so wanted much, to know, what, like, yeah, I, that's yeah. so much. I'm, I'm like, okay, like, what is this guy's backstory, and how does like a famous um, bounty hunter basically know so much about him and is terrified of him? Yeah, I actually like you know I love that with the three leads, like there's that mounting like tension that, you know, that all of them are going to intersect at one point. Like there's mm-hmm. this like, there's like, it's a gradual buildup. And like the Coen brothers, like in a lot of their movies are really good at pacing. And I think the pacing in this movie is particularly very good. Like, it's like, you're kind of like on the edge of your seat the whole time, like anticipating things to happen. Yep. And, 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 and that is what makes the movie so good for me beyond what we can get to later with the performances. It's just like kind of sense of like this ratcheting sense of like something like awful, you know, is bound to happen. happen. Once these worlds collide, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're really good at that. And like, you know, they've, they've done well with that in their other films too. But I think this movie in particular is probably their best example of like, it's just so tightly paced. And then it's just like, you're, it's like also never really a dull moment either. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't really, take a moment i mean i guess it does take a few beats but it, it, to me it's always like kind of moving like you're always yeah. kind of with the entire time and you know that's a testament to them as filmmakers like they're probably probably some of the most focused filmmakers in the business as far as like the tone of their movies or well not well yeah i'll say the tone of their movies because when they're making something that's like a thriller or a drama like they know exactly what kind of film they're making and when they're making something mm-hmm. that's a little lighter something like raising arizona or intolerable cruelty like they also know how to pace those too. But mm-hmm. I think this film, they really just kind of like, there's like seeds of like, if you watch like some of Alfred Hitchcock's like movies, like his pacing is deliberate too. And then with Alfred Hitchcock's movies, especially something like Psycho, you 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 can't really get too comfortable with some of the characters because they may not be around like the whole time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and then this movie kind of has that vibe too, where it's like, we're like oh, well, nope. <laughs> like that kind of, Mm-hmm. thing going on too and it's like i think that's the kind of brave thing to do um and they really do that well as, as filmmakers and and especially with pacing too like having it be paced well but also having these long sort of like 
uncut parts where it's really just a landscape and you see either a car driving through or um, him putting a case into a uh, hotel vent, like even something as simple as that, like that doesn't ruin the pace, even though it's a long, a longer scene that just kind of grips you with every single moment. Cause you're like, okay, this could be the thing that gets him to trip up, or this could be the thing that that they find out that, um, that's, uh, that now leads him to the money. Right. You know what else is good that they do? It's like, so yeah, it is, I guess it is a Western, but it doesn't have the same, it doesn't have like the DNA of like, a traditional western it is like a thriller but it also doesn't have the dna of like a typical thriller either like they're they're blending of like all these different like genres that somehow like work really well together that maybe shouldn't work that well together um yeah i think that is impressive too like you know the way they kind of bleed those i think and that's, i think that's why the movie on top of being good i think that's why it was so successful because it kind of attracted people who were wanting all those things and mm-hmm. they got, they got a little bit of all those things, but it wasn't in the way that they expected to. You know, yeah. they're, not, they're not getting something like Unforgiven when they go watch No Country for Old Men, but they're like exactly. shades of like what those movies are like, what those westerns are like. And you know, we have and it's an also idea not a Tom Cruise action movie. Like it's got action, but it's not over the top. It's it's every single piece of action is a benefit to the story. It's not just a quick cut. Right. Like they know exactly kind of what they what they're building up to, and I. And that's like, that, that's why they're considered some of the best filmmakers of our time, really, because like a lot of their movies are so focused like that. But this is a one of the best examples of it. Um, I know I read somewhere a lot of people. Um, Javier Bardem. I mean, I'm going to talk about all the actors, but like Javier Bardem, yeah. who I really before this, I hadn't. I mean, I, I'm sure I've seen him in stuff before this, but I didn't pay much attention, I guess. Yeah. And. He's like Hannibal Lecter level scary. Like he's so like, frightening, like, man. Like, he like he is so like like I don't see. I mean, like I I hope he's not like a method actor. I hope he's able to like when they were calling cut, he could like snap out of it and just be like funny Smile and cool. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but this guy is so fucking scary. And like you know, you get. It. I mean, like talking about Woody Harrelson described, you get it. <laughs> you totally like. Yeah. This guy is like completely like relentless but also relentless in like a it the, there's like a quietness to the some of the stuff he does that makes it a little bit more chilling than he's like he's not like a foaming at the mouth like kind of villain either like it's very yeah. like almost controlled and that's what makes it pretty fucking frightening too but also even the fact that like some of the stuff that he does is just without second thought like yeah. he'll um like when when they're at the scene at, at night when they're kind of reviewing the the um like the showdown that Josh Brolin kind of stumbles upon and it's like two guys that are kind of going through with him and obviously they're looking for the money too he kills them without second notice and barely even looks at them when he does it and just kind of seeing that no remorse and just knowing exactly what he has to do and doing it very well in order to find this this thing obviously he shows that he's capable and and very smart but Oh gosh, he's just so frightening. So I I read a um article that they put um a bunch of different villains and sort of serial killers or other movie characters and villains into a um and and they were reviewed by um psychiatrists and their and uh professionals and they said that Anton Chigurh is the most realistic 
depiction of a sociopath and a psychopath. And so that (laughs) makes it even more frightening that that is not only realistic, but just like seeing how sadistic he is, is so crazy, man. Yeah. And Javier Bardem is like 100% committed to it. Oh yeah. Like, um, yeah, when he, you know, he won the Oscar for that role. And, Mm -hmm. um, Oh, it's funny too. I I think the like I think the first the impression I got when he won. I remember when he won, and he got up there like was all happy and thankful. I was like, "This is no, this, I mean, this, this guy is a good actor." It like, seems wrong. That's a different dude from like the person that we met uh, in this film. But like, yeah, he he, I just love that he, he does it without chewing scenery. It's just like it's so calm, cool, and collected. Like, and, and that's what makes it scary. Yeah. And, you do not want to be alone in like a room with him <laughs> at all. I think the the scene that that um, kicks it for me is the scene where um, he's talking about. There, well, first of all, there's two scenes. One's a quick one when he uh, blows up the car to go into the pharmacy. Yeah, and just how he's not even phased by it because he knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows that they're all going to rush out. All he's focused on is what he needs to get. And just that limp with that dead eyed stare as he's strolling like into the pharmacy. Oh gosh. It just gives me, gives me chills. But yeah, I think that the best scene is the scene with him at the convenience store or the gas station and like him talking about the coin and calling it um, just that whole scene. It's an iconic moment now, too. <laughs> God, it's it's, it's like so a big movie good. moment now. It's so great, and like what I thought about it when when I saw it um, a little while ago, and especially um, a couple days ago, is that that scene would not be complete if you didn't have the clerk. Yeah. So that whoever that guy is, he deserves some credit too because. You can see the impending fear as he realizes that this is not just a normal conversation. Like, even when he just says friendo and then the way he repeats it to the way that Javier repeats it to him, it's like, okay, gosh, this is not the guy I should be fucking with, really. Or saying that you're my friend. Yeah, stop. And just he's like, where do you, when do you close? We close now. That's not a time. When do you, (laughs) when do you close? But um, I just think that whole scene just shows like, he kind of has this sense of, is it fair? Should I kill this person? I don't know, because now this is your lucky coin. And guess what? You won. Well done. Yep. God, um, it's crazy. Also, too, so a lot, of, a lot of critics at the time commented on the film's violence. Apparently, the book is very violent, too. And uh, Charlie Rose actually asked, asked uh, Joel Cohen about the violence and said it was a lot. Basically, implied that it was excessive. But he said... Well, there's a lot of violence in the book and considered the violence depicted in the film as very important to the story. And he added that we couldn't conceive it sort of soft peddling it and really doing a thing that we really want to do something that resembled the book. It's about a character confronting a very arbitrary, violent, brutal world. And you have to see that. So they did not yeah. want to skip on the violence. I actually forgot how violent it was. <laughs> yeah. Until I watched it again. Um it's very violent. I mean, like one critic from the Los Angeles Times said, um, the Coen brothers have put violence on screen before, lots of it, but not like this, not anything like this. And they also said that, like, the good thing about it, though, is that it doesn't celebrate or smile at violence. It despairs on it. Like, oh, so definitely. It's not like, I love so that. It, That's it a great doesn't way glorify to put it. it. It doesn't glorify it. It is, you know, you're getting a picture of how bleak that world is. And mm-hmm. it's not something that's supposed to be, like, exciting to the viewer at all. 
Um, I mean, I guess I can think about like, I mean, the main scenes that are what I, I guess the violence that they're talking about is just all of the shotgun scenes. And when he uses his air gun, which by the way, kind of the coolest weapon ever to put into villain's hands and yep. be dangerous <laughs> and be because dangerous. Like, it, it's such a close, I mean, it, you have to get close in order to use it, but it's also a tool to get into any place you want to get into, which is just, I, I never would have thought of that. And so whoever wrote the book and I'm, I'm guessing that's from the book, which is really, really cool. But yeah. um, I, I, I guess those are the violent scenes, but it didn't seem excessively violent. It, like in my opinion, it just seemed like, Yes, there was a few people getting blasted away by a shotgun, but that wasn't what I thought made the movie violent. I thought the violence in the movie was, like you were kind of saying, is the soullessness from the violence, and that's what makes it scary. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I want to piggyback on what you said about the score, because you said it was pretty minimal. Um, no, there's none. There's literally yeah, I, none. I, 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 none. And so, like, Ethan, I guess the Coen brothers disagreed on that at first. Joel was really scared about not having like, like a lot like music, and then Ethan, his brother, convinced him uh, to do it, uh, so that it would like reflect the, uh, it would really kind of push what they were trying to do. Like it, like it, because mm-hmm. a lot of people use score to kind of like make the viewer go like, oh, this is when I should be tense, and this is when I should, like, yeah. And this movie doesn't do that. Like it's all mm-hmm. like you just have to be in it in its stillness. And well, it also does kind of make it seem more like a book. Like it it looks like a visual that you could get in your mind when you're reading the book, which is really cool. Um, The only song, the only music that they have, which it actually threw me for a loop when I heard it was when the mariachi band is playing for Josh Brolin when he's like, he's asking for the doctor. Like it actually kind of surprised me because I was like, wow, like I haven't heard any music up to this point. And that's probably like an hour and a bit in. But yeah. um, yeah, I, I I think looking back on it, it was such a great choice, um, because it really just lets you sink into this environment. I agree. Um, I don't want to mispronounce the name, even though I just watched it. Uh, uh, Ewan Moss, uh, that character was originally offered to Heath Ledger. Llewellyn. Uh, Llewellyn, there we go. Sorry, uh, but he turned it down to spend time with his newborn daughter at the time. Um, and then um, the Coens asked Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. Uh, for help and uh, because Josh Brolin really wanted to do it and they were like no like there was another actor they were they wanted Garrett Delahunt to take on uh, the role and uh, Garrett Delahunt I don't know if he's seen he's in the remake of The Last House on the Left he's like he's like a character actor he kind of pops up in like a lot different things Um, but Josh Brolin was like I really want to do this and they were like no and I'm not sure I'm not sure but he had Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez like put an audition tape together with him on it. And that's what sold them. He it was like a real basically. And that's what sold them on Josh Brolin. And it's interesting to think that at the time, like Josh Brolin, he Wasn't was, in a a lot of, he was in a lot of stuff too. I mean, he's been, he's been acting since he was young. I mean, he was in the Goonies. Um, but mm-hmm. like, I guess at the time, like he wasn't like everyone's go-to for stuff as, you know, mm-hmm. he's kind of like has that career a little bit more now. Um, but it's interesting to think that he had to like fight for something. Uh, God, he's so good in it. He's so good. And in just it. because like they just couldn't see it, but like you know, sometimes you need a little assist from your famous director friends to do your audition. Yeah, no, yeah seriously. <laughs> I think one of the th- the one of the things that made me really believe his character was just this um, sense of like kind of 
old Texas trailer trash where he gets home and he's, they're like, she's like, Oh, I'm not even going to ask you where you've been. He's like, that's all right with me. (laughs) (laughs) Like they just don't talk. They don't talk about feelings or anything. They just like are there together. And like, you can tell they love each other, but they obviously have very separate lives that they leave. She probably doesn't do much, maybe works at the store or something. And he just goes off and goes hunting and kind of has his own separate solidarity. Um, and I thought that he portrayed that really well just by not really having a whole lot of dialogue, but his facial expressions show us everything. Yeah, I agree. And uh, Tommy Lee Jones, I mean, he is, he's just always reliable as, you know. Oh, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, I mean, it's, you know where you're going to get when it's Tommy Lee Jones in that kind of role or any role, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's just like he... I'm not saying he has range because he's been in several. I'm like, oh, he's pretty good. Uh, but that's just him. I think that's just like his personality. And like, I think like they were, there's like a list. I was like reading a list of reviews for critics about him. And they all kind of said like, he gives a reliably dedicated performance art. Every word was like reliable. Cause that's, you know, that's Tommy Lee Jones. He looks great in the cowboy hat. He does. And like, <laughs> it's a role that was like, he, that look and role is like made for him. Like it's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. I can't and, imagine anyone else there. Just like, Sort of a, a cop who's, or a, a sheriff who's seen it all with too much ground to cover. Yep. And we also almost didn't have Javier Bardem because there were scheduling conflicts. He almost had to pull out. And they had uh, actor Mark Strong on standby. He's a British actor. Um, if you see his face, I can, I can see Mark Strong doing it. But I just can't imagine anyone else playing that Would it part. have had the same, the same haircut, probably? I mean, hopefully. Yeah, I know, right? That's, that's, probably, that's, probably, that's probably crucial to the, the character. Where... The haircut's part of the menace. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's crazy that he almost had to drop out because of uh, scheduling conflicts. God, the movie had... would be so different. Um, and they also address differences. Like, So I've never read the book, and I don't know if you've ever read the book, but they, they also uh, explain key differences between the book and the movie. And uh, they said that the one key difference is that of focus, because the, the novel fully belongs to Sheriff Bell, and each uh, chapter begins with Bell's narration, and then gotcha. it counterpoints with all the action of the main story. And mm. then the film opens with Bell speaking. Much of what he says in the book is condensed and turns into turns up in the movie in like other forms, though. Gotcha. Um, they do kind of, I guess, they just change like the focus of what the book was going for with him, and then like kind of sprinkle it throughout. Uh, the film, but the Coen brothers got a lot of credit for making a mostly faithful adaptation of that book. Cause, uh, and it just, ha- it just so happens that that book in general, the style of the story. And then like, cause if you watch the movie and you watch other Coen brother movies, it's also like in their wheelhouse. Like if you watch something like Fargo or, uh, yeah, Blood definitely Simple, like Fargo. Or, it has the same vibe. And I think that's why they were, it was so easy for them to adapt it. And mm-hmm. um, but they did say that they wanted to make sure that it was mostly faithful to the book and uh, didn't want to change too much. But like, because like what yeah, was I in mean, the on page was good. I'm actually gonna have to um, read the book now uh, and see if I mean after seeing a movie first and then going back to read the book, it's hard to not have those characters pictured in your mind as the same the ones that you've seen on screen. So. Mm-hmm that's going to be tough for me to kind of have a little difference and come at it with a very like subjective view or objective view. Um, and um, ho- hopefully I can do that, but I mean, I, I can't imagine the book being 
I mean, if there's more violence than that, I wonder where it could be and sort of the other ways that they, like, I mean, I, hopefully he's even more scary in the book. <laughs> yeah. uh, Bardem. Now the, uh, the Coen brothers never met the author before they started writing the script. They just adapted it. They didn't meet him until they started shooting. And they believed that they, that he, they he liked what they were shooting while they were shooting it. Uh, I just thought it was funny that they were like, okay, well, what did he think of the movie after he uh, saw it? And Ethan Cohen said, he didn't yell at us. We were actually sitting in a movie theater screening room with him when he saw it. And I heard him chuckle a couple of times. So I took that as a seal of approval that he enjoyed it. Nice. <laughs> and uh, he's like, that might be presumptuous, but, you know, he did, like, you know, come and strangle He didn't us say no, but he also didn't say yes. <laughs> And you know, it's also their. It was also their first like adaptation of something that they didn't create. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know, also I think is a really cool thing. I want so a lot of people complain. There is one complaint that the ending isn't very clean, uh, and that has a lot to do with like viewer expectations, right? We've talked about. I think we talked about that when we talked about Zodiac, which I think is very different. But the whole like, yeah, what are, what are your expectations of how this is going to end? Like, what you are expecting to happen? Um, that has been the case. Uh, I have a friend that doesn't like the ending, but like, just cause they want more, like they need more, you know, resolution and all that stuff too. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that like, like, like I said in the beginning, it's like, it's just, this is a story of one very specific moment in time. And right. so to have like a sort of resolution at the end, wouldn't be true to the story because this is not where, um, the story ends for Anton Chigurh. And yes, we see like this car accident and him sort of limping off, which that limp is so um, famous, I, I think, like for that character, uh, kind of having him with this constant limp. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, it, it makes me even more scared because he's still out there. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the weird part or the creepy part yeah. is like, you know, <laughs> he's there to wreck more havoc if he chooses to um i yeah i mean i'm i'm cool with i'm all for endings that are like that i don't really yeah no i totally agree i think it ended well i think it's brave i can't imagine what more they would have added to it 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 wouldn't wouldn't have been true to the story and it wouldn't have felt it wouldn't have felt like an act like it wouldn't have done justice to um either of those characters yep um interesting thing about its success overall i I did say it it grossed 171 million worldwide it uh, grossed 74 million here in the states which is it's good for a movie like that and it was the biggest hit of the coens to date until true grit came out uh in 2010 um it is the third lowest grossing oscar winner uh only surpassing crash in 2005 and the hurt locker in 2009 which goes to show you that like the oscars always have had that problem of like even when something like this is successful it's still considered like, well, everyone didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, unless it was like Titanic, which is like, you know, that's one of the, I think that might be the, uh, not interested for inflation. That might be the highest, or I mean, or Avatar, I guess Avatar would be the highest grossing uh, best picture winner of all time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's just a, such a different movie for um, a lot of viewers. I mean, it's it's got its own sort of style that, I mean, not only is it super violent, it's rated R. Uh, I think that that definitely has something to do with the fact that you're not going to go see it Saturday morning with your family. So, yeah, I agree. 
And you know, since we we're talking, we talk about all the praise that it's gotten. I wanted to see if anyone did not like it, and I did find some. Yeah. Um, so it says, what occasional, they have to say about it? it says occasional disapproval was voiced about the film, with some critics noting the absence of a central character and climactic scene, its disappointing finish, and dependence on an arbitrarily manipulated plot, or a general lack of soul and a sense of hopelessness. So they don't really like how bleak everything is. That seems like yeah, a personal... That, that's what makes it enjoyment. good, though. That's what makes it successful, in my opinion. Uh, the Daily Telegraph said, Javier Bardem's character never truly develops as a character. With material as strong as this, one would think they could do better than impute to him a sprawling uh, mystery and merely, and make him merely pathological. There should have been more to him. And then but it's like there's not supposed to be an arc. There's not supposed yeah. to be like a finish. And that's what makes him more like creepy because you don't that's what really makes him scary because yeah, he's already like this. We don't know why he's like this, and he's still like this, and he's still alive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then the Washington Post, Stephen Hunter. I guess he couldn't find much to criticize, so he went with uh, Bardem's weapons. As being unintentionally humorous <laughs> and lamented, that air gun is scary though. <laughs> and lamented, it's all chase, which means that it offers almost zero in character development. Each of the figures is given a lost standard thriller operating procedure, a single moral or psychological attribute, and then acts in accordance to that principle, and nothing else. Without doubts, contradictions, or ambivalence. These all sound like like just general like personal like things that they don't like mm-hmm. about like movies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is crazy to me that you can latch on to that as like, you know, oh, this makes it not good. I mean, I I mean, it's it's so funny because those are the exact reason that I like the movie is that like they all have this one specific thing in time. It's like, oh, he's not worried like Josh Brolin is not worried about his taxes that he's got to file and yeah. <laughs> like it's not like he has all these other things that are on his mind like obviously he has one thing that he's like, going to be driving for in this what movie to get from the store today like this yeah, like, exa- yeah exactly like he yeah. just got shot or something like like there shouldn't be any other thing that's on his mind right now so i mean that's one of the reasons that i like the movie is because there is a specific focus and everyone is tied into it like it's all about the money how do yeah. we get it how do we keep it safe um, and, uh, it really is kind of like a, just a, a great thriller. I mean, I don't know. I, I really have very little to critique about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just like, just the accolades, uh, it was nominated for eight Academy Awards and won four, including best picture, which we talked about Javier won best supporting actor that night, which made him the first Spanish actor to win an Oscar. Uh, the Coen brothers also won best director or, and best adapted screenplay. Uh, it was also nominated for right. best. It also got nominated for Best Film Editing, but did not win. Best Cinematography did not win. Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Mixing. Um, and, oh, and Javier Bardem, he dedicated uh, the award to Spain and to his mother, uh, who accompanied him to the ceremony that night. That's pretty cool. I played this character for you, Mom. This psychopathic, know, right? <laughs> unloving killer. This, is, this one's for you. <laughs> it was all for you. Uh, and as far as uh, the top 10 list that year, which is funny because like we talked about when I talked about Zodiac, uh, I think Zodiac and there was one other movie that ended up on a bunch of lists that year. And we talked about mm-hmm. No Country for All Men briefly being at the top of that. Uh, it appeared on more critics top 10 lists than any other movie of 2007, 354 and was critics number one film uh, on 90 of those lists, mm-hmm. which is crazy. 
That's crazy, man. I mean, I think what I like about this movie too is that since it's set in this very specific time in uh, Texas, what is it? The what is it supposed to be like the nineties? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like that. I like it because you can pretty much watch it at any time, and it's still going to hold up because it just captures that moment. And like there are, it's made in a modern enough time in the early two thousands that it feels like if that movie came out now, it would still like, if you wanted to make that movie now, you would still do it the same way as it was done. It's not like you're going to increase some special effects or change anything different to make it look more modern. Like, yeah, you, if if you had told me that movie was made in 2017, I also would believe you, you know what I mean? It's like, I think that's what makes it able to be like to stand up is because everything that was done was done exactly as it should have done. And, there's nothing else you can really improve in terms of technology and, and time. So I, yeah. I think that it's just a, it's just a good um, it's, it's going to hold up for a really long time. Yeah. It's interesting too. Cause like we look at, this will be 15 years old in December or somewhere around then. And, you know, we look at certain movies that came out 15 years ago and it looks like they came out 15 years ago. Yeah. Exactly. And this one, like you said, like does not look dated like at all. Like no. it, it, it yeah, and that's, a case of some strong cinematography and like uh, the directing style of the Coen brothers to make it continue to make it look modern. And I think like when it turns 20, 25, 30, that it'll still look that clean. Like it's, it's like, going it, to look great. Yeah. I mean, the same thing could be said for true grit too. I mean, obviously like it's the also same director. Style, so. right? Similar stylish a little bit. Like similar style. Um, but like, just like that, like when you make a period piece in the modern time and it's done well, it's going to hold up for a long time because it's not like you're going to be like, if, you could remake Gemini Man and have it look oh. a lot better, and well, you could probably make it better in a lot of ways. Yeah, but it's like that movie is so modern that like you really can't do like the only thing you can do is just go crazier than that. So yeah. it's like to have sort of this specific time frame. Uh, it's really going to make it last forever. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that uh, it's proven that it can sustain the test of time. Um, like the fact that I had to like dig to find like any bad reviews for it was um, yeah page yeah. at least page two of Google. I was like I was like where are the bad reviews because it has a ninety three percent approval rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and then mm-hmm. I just wanted because it's Tommy Lee Jones. I wanted to find a moment where he was grumpy in real life about this, and I found one because he's known oh, to be grumpy. Gosh, of course, he's known to be grumpy. But I think he had a little bit of a right. It says in September two thousand eight, Tommy Lee Jones sued Paramount for bonuses and improper expense deductions on this film. The matter was resolved in April 2010 with the company. They, forcing did, they, did, they didn't expense his Applebee's receipt. <laughs> they said the matter was resolved in April 2010 with the company forced to pay Jones a $17.5 million box office bonus after determination that his deal was misdrafted by studio attorneys who settled with Paramount for $2.6 million over that error. Wow. <laughs> so maybe that's not him being grumpy. He he was he wanted what he wanted. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's but, also he's like like they like the critics said like there's not a real lead. There's three. So I mean he definitely deserves his um he, he's I mean he's the opening voice in the movie. He definitely deserves um a lot of the credit for that. Yep, and yeah, I mean, and I also don't need necessarily need a a film to have. I mean, I, I know there is something to be said about having a lead that you can root for or, be, or having someone in the movie that like, OK, I need to like follow them throughout this and like be invested mm-hmm. in their journey. But I'm also OK if I know that this story is meant to tell 
this specific story about these three individuals who I don't really need to get to know, like beyond the fact that they tell me what I need to know, then that's perfect. So it was so funny. I'm going through. So uh, before I wrote my review, the one that I sent you uh, over a year ago, I was writing notes as I was watching it. And my favorite note that I wrote was, um, holy shit, Woody Harrelson. Fuck yeah. Because <laughs> I, I completely forgot that he was in the movie. And like he just kind of shows up out of nowhere. And I was like, oh my god, let's go. Because I feel like he just does a great – he has a great performance in everything that he does. So yeah. like, to have that sort of – like seeing his swagger turn into like legitimate fear um, and like – because he kind of has a leg up on Josh Brolin where he's like, listen, like you're in trouble. Don't yeah. worry. I'll take care of it. And yeah. then he definitely can't take care of it. So I, I no. thought that that was a really cool use of his character was it's like even someone who knows him well and, or the uh, Javier Bardem's character. Well, yeah. they're de- they, they still don't really stand a chance. Yep, exactly. And I know what that reaction to Woody Harrelson is true of him of almost any movie. <laughs> <laughs> like when he like pops up in, you're like, what? Holy okay. shit, Woody Harrelson. That three billboards movie, I was like, yeah, Woody Harrelson's in this. Good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, he's a reliable, he's always a reliable figure in movies, I think. Mm-hmm. He, like, He'll bring like, that nice little drawl and then we'll be good to go. Yeah, it's just hard to, you know, when I think of Woody Harrelson, I just think about the guy who got started on Cheers like in the 80s, like sitcom, mm-hmm. and then he's turned into like, I mean, is he is he considered a list? I mean, he's in a lot of stuff and he's been nominated. I guess I would call him a list. I'll give him a list. He's been in a lot of movies. I, that think, are like- I think he's a list in the terms of like recognizability. Like he's yeah. so well known by everyone, not just from Cheers, but from yeah. I mean everything from Zombieland to I mean this and everything yeah. else. Like I, I guess True he couldn't detective. carry a movie like with his name alone, like above the title. Like you wouldn't be like, oh, let's go see that. Woody you know, Harrelson in? It's like, like ah, I don't know. No, <laughs> I like you. I like you in a group of people, man. <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know. This is good. I like. I I I love that it's kind of this movie has stood the test of time. Really, like I mean, like I said, it'll be almost fifteen years since it came out. And like for me, as far as like the Coen Brothers movie is concerned, like before this movie, Fargo was my favorite movie by them. Um. Uh, this is definitely by a mile my favorite movie that they've done. Yeah, uh, True Grit is good too. Kind of like I sometimes I want to push it above Fargo, but then I kind of change my mind. Uh, Fargo just is that one hasn't stood the test of time in terms of uh, like the cinematography. I think it hasn't aged well. Yeah, I think when you watch it, it definitely looks dated. It's still a great movie. I think the series has done a good job of staying uh true to it but this one and i definitely love true grit i mean it's one of the characters where matt damon is just a douchebag again and i'm like okay yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well i think it's but, cool that it kind of ended up on uh this movie because of the schedule change it's like this week and the oscars are on sunday javier bardem is nominated this weekend he's not gonna win yeah but he's nominated yeah. this weekend oh nominated he's alongside his wife like he's nominated alongside yeah. Penelope cruz which is cool um that they uh, that that all that Spanish love together, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's kind of cool. That, <laughs> I think it's cool that like you know like almost like fifteen years later he's like up for another still award, killing it. And he's still, still killing getting it. nominated. Yeah, and he's like a very also very fantastic actor. Uh, so it's cool to kind of look at on this. I think like the character that he crafted beyond what the film does, like that this character will be remembered forever. There'll be people I that want to I think it set a new standard for like 
how scary a villain can be when they have their eyes set on a specific prize. Like, yeah, I I would actually like to know if um, this was uh, like, I I I would love to know who based their villain characters on on him, and like how many of how many performances this um, really. Gosh, what's the word? Like, like, like influence. Yeah, like, influenced. Yeah, yeah. which, how many? Yeah, how many performances this influenced, and and what people took from that to to create a scarier character? Yeah, and do you think anyone was afraid to be in a room with Javier Bardem alone after this movie came out? Gosh, <laughs> like uh, if he no. got his haircut, I hope if he got his haircut, I'd be good. Yeah, I think if I was Academy voter that year and like he was at like that luncheon, I'd be like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk to him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'll quietly vote for you, but I'm not going yeah. to, you're scary. Here's my vote. Don't kill me. You're too fucking scary. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, this was a good one to look back on. I think, uh, it's just a really also, solid. Too, Cause it's, I mean, I guess we, um, I probably would have brought it up for a 15 year anniversary in December. So I guess we yeah. can cross that off the list, but the fact that it's, yeah, it's uh, definitely one to remember. And, um, one that I continue to look back on and, and always um, love to see, but it's really not on any streaming. Show. I had to rent it. And I don't know where you saw it, guess I don't know if it was on. Uh... Um, I I've actually owned like so. Um, I've owned a lot of stuff on Blu-ray that I like. I used to have a bad habit of this. I used to buy like stuff and just to have it, and I would like not watch it right away. Um, so No Country for Old Men was still in the package. I had no. Nah. <laughs> So like, and there's like actually several movies back here that are still in their packaging that I I yeah, just bought. All the like, listeners, Gaius has an enormous <laughs> movie wall behind us. It look, I mean, there's yeah. probably got to be five or six hundred movies there. And I just like, and I'll, and so many of them were like, I'm gonna go to Best Buy. I want to own this, and I haven't yeah. even like opened them yet. It's like owning a record or something. It's like, I ha- do you have this movie? Yeah, I have this movie. Have you seen it? No, it loses its value once you put it yeah, in the... <laughs> I know, right? I like, I computers, but like, yeah. Yeah, I had to like yeah. take it out of the packaging and it still had like one of those inserts in it for like, I forgot what the did advertisement you, was Did you for. open it up and you were like, you were like, wow, I actually haven't seen this on Blu-ray yet. <laughs> no, yeah, I was like, what? I was like, Jesus. And then it made me just look at this whole wall and I was like, yep, yeah, so many You're, You got to go through each one by one and, and figure out which ones you haven't seen actually, the ones that you bought. I know. Like they used to call those like for like a lot of movie nerds uh, that are like Blu-ray or DVD collectors at the time, but Blu-ray now and 4K people now. We just like blind buy certain things. Like there were certain okay, things yeah. I hadn't seen in theaters. I'm like, oh, I think I might like that, and I would just buy yeah. it because like you know this was at a time when like I guess it was gradually at a time where you there were, you weren't going to video stores and you had like the Netflix like you can just rent like three discs at a time. But like it was, was the, more- it was the transition into the stream. Yeah, so I was uh, I was committed to just like, no, nah, I'm going to spend 20 bucks and hope for the best, but then I would just forget to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, but, now, you, now you got it forever, and it'll it'll still be good for a long time. Yeah, well, I was happy to crack it open uh, for this. Um, but yeah, we are going to do deep dives once every month, uh, like some of our favorite movies, so you actually uh, know what some of our favorite movies are. Um. All right, Gaius. Well, this is actually perfect because <laughs> it goes it goes straight into uh, the scene from No Country for Old Men. Man, you got to call it. You got to call, call it right it. now. All right, and this I'm is, gonna... it's the biggest decision of your life. <laughs> oh God, it's gonna it's gonna be so anticlimactic. So I I'm gonna go with uh, movies called Closer, and it came out in 2004, um, and it stars Julia Roberts, Jude Law, Natalie Portman, and Clive Owen. It's a 
drama that's based on uh, Patrick uh, Marber play. And it's directed by Mike Nichols. But it's essentially about two couples that meet, like one couple meets each other, another one meets each other. And then their lives kind of intersect with a lot of like infidelity and secrets. And um, it's very like dialogue driven. Sounds um, juicy. And just because it's based on the play, it's more about like the dialogue between the characters. Um, yeah. A lot of people consider this, this is, uh, Natalie Portman's like first real like adult performance where like you didn't look at her so much as like uh, a teenager growing into like her 20s. Um, mm-hmm. She does play a stripper in it. She doesn't really do a lot of stripping, but she is still sexy. That's where, pur- where the purple hair comes from. Pur- purple hair, the purple wig, yeah. Um, but it's easily, I mean, before other before Black Swan, I thought this was the best performance she's given. Um, so yeah, we're gonna I'm gonna focus on that one. Um mostly because like I, I think all four of them give really good performances in this, and like um even Julia Roberts, who's not entirely known about uh, for always doing dramatic stuff. Um, but she even sells her part really well too. So it'll be a simple one to go into because it's a very simplistic movie, and there's like because yeah. only like four leads and not a ton of locations, but because you're only interacting with those four people. Um, but actually, to go back on the whole thing, I have opened it before. It's been watched several okay. times. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I haven't seen the full movie. I've seen parts of it, so I'm excited to um, to check it out. Maybe I'll um, come over. We could watch it together. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I don't know what date in April yet. We'll still figure it out. Um, but that will be mine for when uh, I get my turn for my deep dive. Um, Perfect. Yeah. And other than that, I mean, that kind of closes us out. I was trying to think about what we have next week. Um, I have to look at our little calendar. I know The Lost City comes out uh, this Friday. There won't be a whole episode dedicated to that, even though I love Sandra Bullock. We'll just, we'll just talk about box office numbers. Yeah, and we'll talk about goes. box office. And I, you know, my hope for it, because uh, it has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, the reviews are surprisingly good so far. Um, they say it's like a real honest throwback to like the kind of action adventure romantic comedies that they don't really make anymore. And I think it's funny because mm-hmm. we've talked about those kind of movies like on the romantic comedy episode, like we don't get those. So it's mm-hmm. interesting that Sandra Bullock, of all people, is kind of spearheading. Uh, getting something like this out in theaters again and hopefully it does well yeah. to kind of um make a case for those movies to you know kind of come come on back come on back to the box office and not just go straight to streaming um or straight to the uh the dump bin at walmart yeah so if anyone <laughs> could do it i think it's sandra bullock i know i know jennifer lopez tried earlier this year with marry me um i don't think she has the same like kind of pool even though she is like that romantic comedy person I think Sandra Bullock mm-hmm. has more of a definitely wide, widespread appeal. So, like, yeah, I think uh, that'll be interesting to talk about to see if it d- does well. Um, but yeah, we might just surprise you with what we talk about next week. I thought next week was going to be uh, Morbius, but we got to wait one more week to see that because <laughs> we've been eagerly anticipating watching Morbius for what seems like two years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, I also want to thank everyone. So our we talked about our pod raid from last week. It was all mm-hmm. week on Twitter. Um, and um, I know that our rating, our rating on Good Pods, we had, I think it was uh, 90 people had rated us on Good Pods before the raid. That jumped to 174. They're all five-star ratings. It's cool. Amazing. Uh, Thanks, guys. Uh, and then on Good Pods, and uh, even as of today, that might change by the time you hear this on Thursday, 
but mm-hmm. we were still since last week still number one for on the all film and TV chart on Good Pods and number one on the film review chart on Good Pods. And Guys, uh, I can't say yeah. enough of uh, thank you for that. That's just incredible. Um, we just want to thank you all for voting for us and. Um, we, we this is what we love up. to do. Yeah, this is just what we love to do, and the fact that you guys uh, like to listen to us do it just makes us want to do it even more. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a shout out to playlist because like yeah, there's like there's chemistry here, and like we can banter and rift. I think a lot of it, like like if you don't know anything about us, I think that the logo that they came up with for the show is very eye catching. So if you don't really know anything about what we're going to talk about, I think the logo catches your eye. So I want to give credit to them for creating something that catches people's eye. Even yeah. make them want to click on and listen uh, to us ramble on. Playlist just has done such an amazing job with us. Our, our partnership has just continued to grow as, as we've um, kind of figured out and, and hit our stride. So I uh, just want to shout out them as well. They they've done an incredible job working with us and, really leaving us 100% total control over the content of what we do. And um, it really just makes things so much smoother in terms of just what Gaius and I want to talk about. So um, we're going to continue to do it. And um, we got a lot of stuff that we're excited to excited to share. Yeah, yep, definitely. And, you know, there's a lot on the calendar. Um, there's a lot that I'm going to talk to Owen oh, some about to you something off of here about an idea um, but yeah, there's just like so much things that we can do to kind of make things better. And like, we're encouraged by the fact that people are listening and rating it well and giving us positive feedback. So that is what makes this all, it's fun for us, but it's also cool that you guys are enjoying it too. Yeah. Makes it all the best. Um, but yeah, as always, man, close us out. Yeah, guys, thanks for listening to my deep dive. Um, no country for old men is definitely one of my favorite movies. Um, we're going to keep doing this. Uh, we have a few more things that we got in the works of, um, just kind of like monthly things we want to talk about. Um, just like little sort of different segments that we think would be kind of a cool addition to, to maybe focus us a little bit more rather than, um, leaving it a little bit more broad. So we're going to try and, um, continue to focus on things, uh, cause we have such a, a large array of content in order to, to deep dive into, so um, we got a lot of different things that we're, we're planning on kind of creating uh, little segments, like I said. So just keep listening and uh, we're going to keep making content. We we love that you guys are constantly there and, and voting for us and um, giving us five stars. So please continue to do that on Spotify, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, uh, we're going to be uploading this to YouTube again. You can see Gaius's movie wall if you'd like, which uh, maybe if, if someone has a, someone has an enhancer, you can. If someone has an enhancer, you can see all the different movies, maybe uh, make a list of all that. That'd be kind of cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just want to say thank you to everyone out there and we'll uh, see you guys next week. All right. Peace. Thank you for listening. Bye.